The reading is from Isaiah 53, the prophet Isaiah, page 741. Beginning at the first verse. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. This is the word of the Lord. Just take a moment uh, to pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, <clears throat> still the storm with your word. Bring words of eternal life to us this day, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Lovely to see you this morning. Um, we're spending the period of Lent, as uh, we referred to, looking at essentially it's one verse in Ephesians 4, the five-fold ministry from Ephesians 4.11. It's a fabulous passage in a fabulous book about the fullness and about what it means to be mature in Christ, to put away childish things, to put away childish things. Jesus calls us and through Paul writes, take hold, take hold of the spiritual life I have given you and I've placed in you. Last week, John did a great job uh, starting us off with the apostles and suggest if you weren't here, go online, have a, a look at it. But today we're thinking about the second of the fivefold ministry, the prophets. 
Now, I wonder whether you have uh, this morning any experience of prophets. Often, um, strongly prophetic people in the church's history have been sort of unconventional people. At times, you might want to describe it like that. Other people use other words to say that. Not necessarily always easy people to be around. Why? Because the thing is, if you look through Scripture and you go through Scripture, you find particularly some of the prophetic characters seem to be doing some fairly unusual or extraordinary things. God seems to be at work in people you wouldn't expect and doing slightly odd things. Think about Moses. We talked about that, a murderer, but God's prophet. Ezekiel, prophet Ezekiel, particular passion for Ezekiel, eating a scroll and lying on one side for 390 days. In the reading I was tempted to have this morning in Ezekiel 37, prophesying to dry bones, dry bones, come to life, come to life, come to life. Isaiah, who we read, uh, David read, just an amazing passage, but Isaiah at one point prophesying naked. John the Baptist, hairy, locust-eating kind of prophet in the desert. We looked briefly at Elijah a couple of weeks ago, at one moment on Mount Carmel, boasting, and the next lying under a tree, wishing his life would end. I could go on. Interestingly, my mum was a very prophetic person. One of the things that was shaped by that is that she listened to God very carefully. God spoke to her. And God gave her an amazing sense, the way it worked for her, is God often gave her an amazing insight into certain situations. But she in her life actually found that often a great burden. She didn't quite work out how to enable what God was showing to be a place where actually it built up the church. At times that became for her a real challenge. When I went to university, which is a very long time ago, uh, before some of you were probably born, but, but actually it was a very long time ago. I went to university in York, and during that time I went to a church called St. Michael of Belfry. It's right next to York Minster. And during the 70s and 80s, it went through significant charismatic renewal. And there were lots of what I would call prophetic people around. We'll come to that in a bit. It's right at the time when John Wimber was around a lot in the English church. And there was also a group called, I don't know whether any of you mentioned it, called the, remember it, called the Kansas City Prophets around. And sometimes I remember going to worship uh, that church and the sense of the holiness of God. The sense of an awe and wonder of the holiness of God. Was at times you'd have conversations, particularly amongst some of those who were leaders, that people would be so sort of having an awe that they were scared almost to be with other people in case their hidden life, their hidden sin was somehow revealed. You know, the inner life that we spend our lives trying to run away from at times. Here is God in all his goodness and holiness coming. Yet our kind of response to that was to hide and to run when God is longing, longing out of a holy love to bring us freedom and to bring us peace. 
prophets and the prophetic appear throughout scripture. The first five books of the Bible are traditionally seen as written by the prophet Moses. A large chunk of the Old Testament uh, contains prophetic books, sometimes described as major prophets, other times minor prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Hosea. And I don't know whether you've read them. Sometimes people get stuck in the prophets because at times can be quite tricky to read. Some of it's amazing, but also some of it seems a little bit obscure and sometimes difficult to understand. In the New Testament, we traditionally think at Christmas about Simeon and Anna prophesying over Jesus in the temple after his birth. Jesus, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, the passage that David read us from Isaiah 53. The saviour of the world come amongst us. Beyond the life of Jesus, we then see in the letters that um, prophets and prophecy... Oh, bless you. Am I croaking too much? Sorry. This, I can't promise this will improve the content. Uh, but Thank you. Paul exhorts the Corinthians, for example, to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. I wonder whether you've thought about that. Why would Paul say that? If we go right back to the beginning of the Bible, God speaks creation into being. And through the story, we see God gradually revealing himself through scripture and then the amazing passages I was going to read Deuteronomy 18 but go and have a look at that if you'd like to this morning <clears throat> how God calls individuals individual people to speak to his people God wants God's desire is to have a relationship with us it's personal for God It's personal for God. God's desire is to know us and for us to know him and to be in relationship together. And to be in relationship and, you know, even with, you know, however much relationship advice I give you, I know that you need to listen to people. If a relationship is to flourish, you need to hear each other's voice. You need the freedom to speak and the freedom to listen to for a relationship to grow. So whether it's Moses in the burning bush in something really dramatic or the tent of meeting that we thought about when we're in lockdown going through Exodus, God through scripture is a God who speaks and wants us to hear him. Some of the most beautiful passages, a passage I love in John's gospel, are the I am statements, and you know, really well known in John 10. We get one of the I am sayings of Jesus. I am the good shepherd. And I lay my life down for my sheep. My sheep know me and I know my sheep. Like me and my father, Jesus says. It's that close. My sheep listen to my voice. My sheep listen to my voice. 
So I wonder whether the last two years have left you with maybe a greater desire to hear what God would have to say to you. Maybe you spent so much energy just trying to get through, but actually maybe you realize that actually if I did hear God, that would be a great thing. If you look back in the past, if I asked a number of people in this room, there'd be moments probably we could all look to where we maybe had a dramatic encounter with God where we heard God's voice almost audible to other things where we just, when I read scripture, the scripture comes alive. Or God gives me an impression, a word for somebody, a, a vision, a dream. God speaks and we gradually over our lives begin to try and discern and listen to his voice and tell his voice between the general noise in our heads. And you may be very peaceful, but a lot goes on in my week and my head gets consumed with lots of things. But maybe this morning it really gets as simple as this. Actually, we'd just love to hear God. just to get attuned to him. Just to hear him again. What it would be to know that actually he speaks my name this morning and beckons me come. So what's it all about? What are these prophets all about? I've alluded to it in different ways. Prophets are mediators, essentially, between God and his people. Prophets hear and listen to God, but then they bring what God has shown to the people. There's a listening and there's a speaking. Sometimes it's about future events, and we think that so-and-so, that this is what God has intended, whether that's good or bad, and some things, if you look through Scripture, you'll see that. But also sometimes it's just literally speaking insight and revelation for today. For today. This is what you need to know today. Speaks it out. They bring God's perspective, God's mind, God's heart for the now and for the future. Because God longs to lead us into the future he has for us. This isn't defined by our personal circumstances now. Prophets can sometimes be a bit straight speaking, calling people to repentance. Repent. Repent. Turn away from self-destructing and turn around and go the other way. Come to me. Turn away from going your own way. You're self-destructing. Turn to me. Prophets are particularly attentive to the season they're in. Sort of what is it that specifically needs to be attended to now that's not the same as last week, last year, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 2,000 years ago. And it's born and brought out of a deep, personal, committed relationship to God. Listening for a word in season, as someone calls it. A word that brings life. 
And actually, if you get into the idea of this fivefold ministry, I'm not saying you will, but if you do, if you look at Jesus' life in the light of what it means to be a prophet, you look at the encounters Jesus had with individuals, you look at his healing miracles that are so unique, you look at his teaching that is so different from anybody else that used to teach, you see the signs that Jesus performed that weren't like the signs anybody else led. He's constantly bringing a heavenly perspective, a godly perspective to our earthly circumstances. And ultimately, in his death and his resurrection, he demonstrates that he is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, uniting us to God and bringing us back. God's the way God uses prophets, prophets are constantly calling us to faithfulness to God. They're constantly calling us to come again, to come back to God, to be faithful, to be a covenant people, to what it means to be God's people. The temptation, prophets won't just lower the bar and say, it's okay, don't worry about it. That's not what prophets do but calling us to live out of the integrity and light of what it means to be children of a heavenly Father, heirs of the kingdom of God. Calling us to holiness, godless, god, godlessness, oh dear me, godliness and fruitfulness. To live for God's purposes on the earth. To live for his pleasure and his delight. Famously, I put it on the, not famously because I put it on, but last week or a couple of weeks ago, I put on the back sheet, you know, those famous verses from one of the prophets, Micah. What's the Lord require of you? To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. There's so many different passages you could look at in the prophets. What for us does that mean? Heal the sick, feed the poor, house the refugees, bless those who persecute you, hasn't changed in a sense what God's called us to do and to be. And here's the funny thing, and this is the thing sometimes I kind of dwell on a little bit. You think, well, surely God has got a different plan than to use me and, me and you. I don't know how you feel about that. That actually God has chosen to partner with us, his people, today to display his splendor to a world that needs to know him. That's God's plan, to use us. Now, like you and me, sometimes you maybe sit there and think, well, do you know, if only God would do that all directly and it didn't need to require us, it'd be fine. But God chooses to use us, to bless others, to show us, to demonstrate to others, to be his hands and his feet. Yes, God still does stuff directly, but he longs to use us. In some of the most famous verses um, in the gospel accounts in the Sermon on the Mount, I'm just going to read a couple of passages. Um, Matthew 5, if you want to quickly look at it. Matthew 5, starting at verse 14. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put the lamp on a stand and it gives light to everybody in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, it's our job to shine. And we can only do that with God. The life he's put, given you, the life he's put in you, the new life he's brought to you, it's intended to flow out to others. Joe mentioned, and another time we'll try and gather some of the stories of going away last weekend to Han Hill. And one of the exercises we did was a really simple exercise in a way where you get in threes and you listen to God for the other person. It seems really daunting. But actually, it's an amazing blessing. Yes, we can listen to people and where they are. But actually, we can listen to God for others, to bless them, to bring a scripture, to bring an impression, to bring a word of encouragement, to help one another shine for him in today's world. And then lastly, um, I was going to put the Nike logo up, but I just thought it was a bit cheesy. So I, I did just do it. James 1, 22 to 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it said is like someone who looks at a face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. You know, there are so many ways in which we can subtly hide in this difficult world at times we live in. Hide away from what God wants to say to us. Hide away from what God has called us to. And one of the um, church leaders who led a church I was part of for a period of time was a very strong prophetic uh, leader. And I used to remember, we used to smile because I must have remembered him saying two or three times during the time I was part of the church. You know, he said, one of the issues in the Western church today is this, is that we're educated beyond our level of obedience. Ooh, ooh, that's the kind of thing a prophet says. Just we stop accumulating more and more stuff to make you feel a little bit better about things. More knowledge, more experience, more church stuff. But actually, listen to him and do what he's asked you to do. Whatever it is, God calls us into his purposes. He, God calls us as graciously. He draws us. He tenderly uh, comes to us. But he also speaks clearly and directly into our lives because he wants us to love those around us. He wants us to serve those around us. He wants us to bless those around us. And that requires us to agree with God, to actually agree with what God is actually saying. About 10 years ago, I said, told this story at the weekend, but about 10 years ago when I was at theological college, one evening, uh, Joe and I went to an evening meeting somewhere in a church through some family friends, and the person who was leading this evening was um, 
a very strong and a well-known sort of prophetic character within the church internationally. And this person was speaking, and then it got to the end of the service, like you sometimes do in these things. And he got to the end and said, actually, if anybody would like prayer for anything, you know, come forward. And, you know, I thought, well, I didn't know quite what I wanted, but I just knew something was stirring in me, and that I needed to do something now. Couldn't put a finger on it, it's this issue. So I went forward. Anyway, went forward, stood there. Bear in mind, I've never met this person. And actually, this person started to prophesy over my life. And um, there were a range of things this person prophesied that only me and God knew. So I kind of thought, this is looking encouraging. And then prophesied a whole range of really beautiful and wonderful things over my life that were very affirming in a very general way that God was speaking some of those things over my life, some things I was called to, some things I could do. But then this person stopped, took a breath and maybe waited for 10 seconds. And then they said, I think God is saying, do not, uh, do not despise my revelation. Oof. It was a word of rebuke. Now, I don't suggest if you ever have done in prophecy that you go around saying that to people but it was right for me it was right for me and I knew it and as I knew it and I received it and didn't try and pretend I didn't it wasn't for me God met me in a, an extraordinary way actually and the thing was this is that I just spent virtually two years slogging reading numerous books about theology and about God and about mission, about ministry. And I was accumulating more and more stuff, good stuff, by the way. But I'd stopped wanting to actually listen to God as my father. I stopped really interested in what he had to say to me today. I'd just rather know what some theologians had said. And actually in that moment, in that moment of rebuke where God was calling me back to himself, you know, there's a temptation for all of us at different times in our life to get lost, to trade off our past, to think we've got it sorted even subtly. Life gets difficult. I understand that. And we can get lost. We can lose our first love. And the prophets call us back. They call us back. Call us back again and again to come back to Jesus. And it isn't always in a word of rebuke, by the way. It can be gently Jesus affirming you. Gently giving you a word or something or just someone coming and blessing you when you know God has come to you through somebody else and beckoning you back into relationship with him. We worship a God who speaks. You'll be really encouraged, as Joe said, when actually other people bring words of encouragement to you. And it will change your relationship with God, even when those relations that might come to other people, that's all good. But there are times when we need to, to respond, to step in, because God in Christ, through his spirit, is longing to lead us, to lead each of our lives into the good future he has for them. God is a God who speaks and he loves us to listen.